Our band's the coolest, awesome and power. How y'all doing? I'm Keith Wilson. I'm the worship pastor here at the church. Dave and Amy are on vacation. It's good to see you guys here. If you're a visitor, welcome. We're going to talk a little bit more about uh, singing and worshiping today, but uh, the first thing I want to do is a quick announcement, so check this video out. Sorry, I'm late. I've had a day. <sighs> Say, Wiz, can you help me out? Thanks, bro. everything all right? My romantic comedy is a romantic tragedy. <laughs> Michelle, I can't live without you. Shh. Man, why do we always come to the movies? You can learn a lot from a movie. So, at the movies, kicks off here two weeks from today, Sunday, September 2nd. And this is a great series to invite your friends and family to. So uh, we're going to have free tickets available next week, so you'll be able to take tickets and hand them out to your friends. It's an easy way to invite people. If it's weird to talk about church, you just give them a movie ticket and say, come on out and see us. Now, I do want to let you guys know, we need you to be here in September because of copyright laws None of these messages will be online or on our website or on our Facebook or anything like that. You have to be here to, have to, be here to see them, okay? So invite your friends. So, as I told you, I am the worship pastor here at the church, and so I wanted to talk a little bit about singing today. Because I think there's something about singing that, humanly speaking, is profound and powerful. I think that most people would say that music does something to we human beings, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. We seem to be creatures that need to and love to be around music and to participate in it at some level. And the cool thing is that this love of music is not just for Christians. This is a gift that God has given to all humankind because, as you know, God is good even toward those who don't love him. God has given this gift to his people for their good and their joy and also for his glory. And God is serious about singing, and that alone should make it important to us. Did you know that God himself sings? Let me show you Zephaniah 3.17. It says this, The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. God sings over us. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? Do you know that singing is mentioned over 400 times in the Bible? And 50 of those are commands. 50 times the Bible commands the people of God to sing. And I've stood out here when I'm not on the stage and... Most of you men, a lot of you men don't sing in church. You just stand there. You don't sing. So we're going to talk a little bit about that today. <laughs> because if, if the Bible is commanding us to sing, that should create some curiosity in us. Like why? 
why are we commanded to sing? Now, we know that it's not that God is just having a tough time and God needs to be encouraged. It's not like God's up in heaven going, man, this is really harder than I thought it was going to be. If somebody doesn't say something good about me and set it to a nice melody, I don't know that I'm going to be able to get through the day. That's not God. God's not prone to melancholy. God's not up in heaven saying, you know what I really need? I need someone to praise me right now, or I don't know if I can finish what I've started here. We know that's not God. So what's happening in these 50 commands and these 400 mentions? Let's take a look at Psalm 150 if we can. This lists a whole bunch of reasons that we're supposed to praise the Lord. We're supposed to praise him in his sanctuary, praise him in the heavens. It goes through the instruments we're to use when we praise him. God likes instruments, or he likes not so many instruments. But it says we're supposed to praise him. Let every, everything that has breath praise the Lord. Now, I know sometimes we look at the world around us, and it makes it hard to come to church to sing. There's poverty and injustice. There's crime. And yet we have these 50 commands to sing. 50 times we're commanded to sing. And I know some of you may be sitting out there thinking, but what if I just can't sing very good? What if my joyful noise is not all that pleasant? What if I don't like the type of music the band plays? What if it's too loud? What if it's not loud enough? We're still commanded to sing by God. So let's explore these things a bit. Before we jump too deeply into that, let me just give you a brief history on the evolution of music in church. And I'm not going to go the whole way back, but I think I can just assume that most of us probably my age or up, we probably grew up singing hymns in church. Is that, would that be accurate? But see, then there was this revival that broke out in California in the 70s. It was called the Jesus Movement. And basically, a bunch of hippies out in California found Jesus, and they started sharing the gospel, and they planted a series of churches called the Vineyard Churches, and they started writing contemporary choruses, and that started spreading across the United States. So churches started to wrestle with, really for the first time in hundreds of years, whether or not they were going to sing these modern choruses, or whether they were still going to sing hymns. And this led to what has come to be called the great worship wars of the 70s, 80s, and 90s. And I know it sounds crazy, but churches split over this. This church, Cornerstone, was started at least partly because we wanted to have a church doing contemporary worship. New services were born all over the United States. And some churches start, tried to split the difference a little bit. I'm, you've probably seen it yourselves. Contemporary worship is at 9, traditional is at 11.15. I was a part of a church that wrestled with that. And people's hearts were in the right place. They were really trying to discover what was the right thing to do. Do we sing hymns? Do we sing choruses? Do we use hymnals? And then there was also a revival happening on colleges across the United States. And college students were beginning to question the way they interacted with singing and preaching that was different than the churches they grew up in. At universities across the United States... There were Bible studies that were packed with thousands of college students playing loud, chorus-driven music with full rock bands. And this was a unique season in the American church. There was a revival going on in regard to how we think about and interact with the Bible and singing. 
But see, here's the thing. The style of music doesn't really matter so much. As Pastor Dave and I were talking about this message, one of the things he said really hit home with me. He said, Jesus shows up and is relevant where we are now. Basically, Jesus fits into wherever the culture is. He fits into the music that's popular now. Now, if you grew up singing hymns like I did, then let's be honest. Contemporary worship seems weird when you first do it. It felt weird to me. I know that. But it feels comfortable to people who are not used to coming to church, people that don't know God yet, you know, the people we're trying to reach. And let's face it. More and more, what we call contemporary worship is really the new traditional worship. We're not breaking any new ground here at this point. Dave tells us as a staff, Odie and and Megan and Hope will hear this (laughs) in the coming weeks here. He always says over and over again that he says, I will always defer to the non-believer. As Christians, we are expected to be mature enough to make ourselves a little uncomfortable in order to make folks who are not as far along in their walk a little more comfortable. Dave told me of a pastor named Mark Driscoll, who's a megachurch pastor from Seattle, and he made this statement. He said, I can't wait to hate the music here. He was mature enough to know that when that happened, it would be proof that a new generation of Christ followers was in the house. So even if we don't always like the style or the song, we are commanded to sing. And let me give you one more Pastor Dave story because he's full of it. Um, (laughs) Cheap shot. He's not here. (laughs) He's full of stories and wisdom. (laughs) And this applies to people who don't really care for the songs or people that don't think they sing very well. He said, imagine that Amy, his wife, asked him to sing her a song. And he would be thinking to himself, If you've sat beside Dave and heard him singing a little bit, he's got strengths. That's not not one of the big ones. He would tell you himself he doesn't think he sings very well. But he said he would do it anyway because it means something to Amy. It's actually more meaningful because she knows it's hard for him. We should sing to God because he asks us to sing. It brings pleasure to him. It puts a smile on his face. It's not for us. This singing that we do on Sunday mornings is not for us. It's for him. Now again, you may be thinking, that's just not my strength. It's not my space. That's not in my lane. I don't like the song. I don't like the style. And yet 50 times, the Bible says sing. So you should sing. And as I mentioned, he's not doing this because he needs it. So what's happening? Well, I believe there is spiritual power unleashed when the people of God sing together. And let's talk about that. Now, as you know, with every great sermon, I have three points to make. (laughs) Here's my first point. The power to remember and repent is unleashed when the people of God sing. The power to remember and repent is unleashed when the people of God sing. So check out this text. This is Deuteronomy 31, 21. It's a discussion between God and Moses where God is acknowledging, I know my children, 
They're stiff-necked. They're disobedient. Before I even get you into the land, I promise you, you're going to rebel against me. And yet I'm going to put something in your brain, and I'm going to put something in your heart, and I'm going to put it in your children, and it's going to confront you. So let's take a look at this. This is from the Living Bible Translation. I like the way they put this. It says, and great disasters come upon them. Then this song will remind them of the reason for their woes. For this song will live from generation to generation. I know now, even before they enter the land, what these people are like. So how does God plan to lovingly confront his people? With a song he puts in their hearts that even their kids won't be able to forget. And here's how I think this works. I think when we come together as followers of Christ and we sing, those of us who have strayed or are weak will hear our praise and will be confronted with the glory of God. In church speak, we would say we felt convicted. This is one of the ways God loves his people. And this is unleashed when the people of God sing. That's one of the reasons we're commanded to sing. And now, even though I'm using the word confronted here, I also think you'll see that singing comforts the people of God. And music can bring comfort in a number of ways. And some of them we can't even explain. You know, it's not uncommon for older people who are struggling with Alzheimer's or dementia hear a song like Amazing Grace or Just As I Am hear a hymn or a song from from yesteryear from their youth, and they return with clarity for a few moments. I watched a great documentary on Glenn Campbell's farewell tour, and he was struggling with Alzheimer's at the time. At times, he didn't know where he was before the show started. He didn't know who his family members were, and several of them were in his band. And yet, night after night, he could walk out on stage and do this. Check this out. I didn't just want to play a great Glenn Campbell clip, although there's nothing wrong with that. His doctors, if you watch this documentary, his doctors had no explanation for why he was able to do this. That was his daughter playing the banjo there, and um, at times she would have to like walk him to the stage and say, okay, dad, this is where you have to stand. But when the music started, he came back to life somehow. Music, the singing just did something to him. So my first point is that singing gives us the ability to remember and repent. My second point is that singing has the power to integrate us. I believe that one of my roles as a worship pastor is to help focus the congregation, to help lead you into a worshipful state, if you will. Now, the singing is not the worship. Our goal, if you'll come along with us, 
is to help guide you into a state of worship and praise. And over the years, I've had people tell me that they were having a bad morning or they were going through a rough patch in their lives. But coming to church and singing, it lifted them and it helped them focus on God's goodness. When it's working, when we're working as a team together, singing and praising God has that effect. This is what C.S. Lewis said praise was. He said, praise is understanding what is true and then expressing it in praise. How do we express it? Largely through song. Let me show you Colossians 3.16. It says this. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. I love that. Let it dwell in you richly. How many of you have read the Bible in the morning and forgot what you read at lunchtime? Dave's not here, so you you don't have to raise your hand. I know if, if you're like me, probably most of you have had that happen at one time or another. But what Lewis is saying here, he's saying, don't just read it like you're reading a blog or reading the newspaper. Let it dwell in you. Think about it. Meditate on it. Apply it. Let it dwell in you richly. Teaching and admonishing, encouraging, edifying, speaking into, building up, and yes, at times, even rebuking one another in all wisdom. But then Colossians seems like it makes a little turn, but it's really not a turn. It goes on to say, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Sing songs and hymns, spiritual songs. Now, I can't remember, well, I can't remember hardly anything anymore. Marsha will tell you that. But, but I can remember song lyrics. And lyrics matter. Gordon Fee says, show me a church's songs and I will show you their theology. Now, I would make a small wager that none of you will be singing my sermon later this week. You're not going to be in your car and just start singing a sentence from what I've said here today. But you may sing a line or two from a song that the guys did this morning. Music has this power. It's singing that has this. So my first point is that singing gives us the power to remember and repent. My second point is that singing has the power to integrate us. What God is after is men and women who sing passionately because of what is true, and they express that in song for the good of their own souls and the good of the corporate gathering, but mostly because it pleases God. Here's a quote by John Wesley. Did you know John Wesley and his brother wrote over 6,500 hymns? That has nothing to do with the message. It's just amazing. And I love the way he puts this. Wesley says, sing lustily. Don't you love that? I could have just have read that. Sing lustily and with good courage. Beware of singing as if you were half dead or half asleep. Is that ringing true to anybody? He says, but lift up your voice with strength. Be no more afraid of your voice now nor more ashamed of it being heard than when you sung the songs of Satan. He's saying, give your best effort to God. In a way, he's saying, yes, come see Wilson Lucia at Galifty's on August 24th from 6 to 8.30. (laughs) Or the soft rock hits of the 70s. Or go see Denny and Cass doing karaoke. Go see Mike and Lauren Maggs at a winery. Sing along and have fun. But save your best for God. 
There's this power unleashed when we sing to remember, to be confronted or comforted. And then there's this power to integrate our heads and our hearts. So here's the third thing. Singing unleashes the power of God over the world. I was going to say over Satan, but the world sounded a little less threatening. I mentioned earlier hearing stories like when I pulled into the parking lot, I just got a weird sense that I was home. And then when I walked in, we began to sing. I'd been battling depression. I lost my job. I'd been battling anxiety. I'd sort of felt like I was walking in a fog. And as we sang, those things sort of started lifting off of me. I was able to sing with joy. I was able for the first time in a long time to really be able to focus on the sermon. I was able to find peace in my heart as we sang to the Lord. Singing has the power to take the weight of the world off our shoulders, at least temporarily. It has the power to push Satan away. Kind of like when Nate or Lauren have their Not Today Satan t-shirts on. So why do we suffer then? Why do we lack victorious living? You know, sometimes it's just because we live in a fallen world. The world is broken. Some hardships exist just because the world is broken. There's no more to it than that. But the Spirit of God sustains us in that world. Sometimes we suffer because we've sinned against God. Or someone else has sinned against God. You know, sometimes you really do reap what you sow. But singing and praising God can lift us. Singing is important to me. It's been a a big part of my life. It's given me the confidence just to be able to stand in front of people and sing or to talk. Um, Earlier in my life, when I was a younger man, it even provided a way for a tall, skinny, shy, awkward kid to meet girls. It's not a bad thing. (laughs) But more importantly, it created a way for me to draw closer to God and to open doors to share my testimony with other people. I wouldn't be the Christ follower I am today without singing and without music in my life. I had accepted Christ as my Savior in ninth grade at Woodlawn Baptist Church in Crestview, Florida. But there were no works. My faith wasn't being put into action. I wasn't transformed. Notice how I'm hearkening back to Dave's information series from a few weeks ago. God tells us to sing. And I can't tell you how great it feels to the praise team when they can hear you all singing together. It's magical when that happens. And sometimes we're not clicking on all cylinders up here. Maybe there's some feedback. Maybe we're singing off key. Maybe someone plays a wrong note. But when we hear you singing back, it it lifts the band. And that puts a smile on God's face. I want us to be known as a church that expresses itself, expresses its love to the Lord lovingly and loudly in song, even if it's a bit off key. So what I'm going to do now is I'm simply going to pray for us. And I'll just pray that singing becomes a part of your life. In your car, with your family, at the house, over your children, that song might become an atmosphere you create in your own homes. So would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for these men and women. I thank you for the gift of song. I thank you for how it builds up our hearts. I thank you for how it encourages us. Thank you for how it even emboldens us to pray. 
I pray even now as we prepare to sing our final song that we not feel like we must muster anything or perform for anyone, but that you would just incite our hearts with what's true about what we're singing and usher us into greater freedom that maybe we've shown historically. And I thank you we're not talking about singing today as much as we're talking about power. We're not talking about singing as much as we're talking about the power to live victoriously in this world. I ask that where there are barriers of being too cool or barriers of not liking our voice or barriers of not liking the songs or the song selection, that we'd be able to surrender to your commands like we would any of your other commands. Help us, Lord. I pray these things in your beautiful name. Amen.